Jamie bitch. I love saying that. I love that. <laughs> it is really nice to be back, though. And um, apparently the fans, uh, I don't like I don't like to refer to my podcast listeners as fans, actually, because uh, that's like a little simpy. The listeners who I'm so honored to uh, have the attention of, they they missed me. Because a lot of y'all listened, so that's cool. Um, we got about, what did I say, 2,500 in the ELC feed. We're still figuring out the um, making our own feed. We don't have a logo yet. It's really hard to change a logo in Apple Podcasts once you, uh, once you put one in there. Hence why I'm still in the logo for the Antipada. Ha, ha, ha. But, uh, yeah, we're working on it. <laughs> well, I don't blame your listeners for missing you. You're a very missable person, uh, and I hope that they enjoyed meeting me. I'm sure they did. I, I got some really nice messages, actually. I was like, aw. See, the Antifada was never big enough to have bad fans. We only had good fans, and some of them are still with me and still following me, so that makes me feel good. Um, yeah. One of my friends... <laughs> she really liked when we said this is a podcast for dumb bitches who like hate to work or whatever. <laughs> she showed me she has a sticker on her phone that says dumb bitch. So clearly we're tapping into uh, the dumb bitch demographic, which I appreciate. The dumb bitch market. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a huge market. And, you so. know, the reason I was so so when you proposed the name Party Girls, the reason I was so quick to jump on it is I, too, have a sticker. And my car has a bumper sticker that says Party Girl that I uh, found at a one of those uh, strangely like problematic sticker kiosks that you find at like truck stops in rural America. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyone who's seen them knows exactly what I'm talking about, where there's just oh, like, yeah. someone kneeling at the AR-15 that says like for God and country or like just a straight up Blue Lives Matter flag or something about tits. Big time. Do they also sell the truck nuts? Yeah, I forgot about. I forgot that those exist. <laughs> um, if any of our listeners have truck nuts, DM us. We want you on the pod. All about your adventures in the city of angels in Los Angeles. I'm wondering how uh, how your trip's faring out there. It's been pretty long. You've been out there for what, like a month almost? Yeah, I'm going home in a few days, and I'm real. I got real mixed feelings about it. Because on the one hand, you know, I miss all my New York homies, obviously, my cats. Um, there's at least one person that I'm excited to go on another date with. And, you know, compared to the guys in L.A., he's like, a, I, I have a newfound appreciation, which is like a nice regular New York dude who's not a complete fucking dumbass. But uh, it's cold back in New York. And... I hate being cold. I went to the beach on Monday. The goddamn beach. It was in the 70s. I went with the chick from the Neoliberal Health podcast, Anna. She's very nice. She invited me to come with her and her boyfriend and some of her friends to the beach. And we chilled. I showed them all the coming insurrection. They were like, ooh, what's that? I was wondering who's... Uh, I saw that on your story. I was like, whose copy is that? Whose book is that? Oh, whose do you think? That sounds delight. So the other day, uh, it was like... Um, I think it was the day that you were going to the Joshua Tree or something like that. 
uh, I stayed up way too late and was like, huh, I wonder, I, I might change my Instagram handle. And I changed it <laughs> to just, I was like, I wonder if the coming insurrection, one word, <laughs> is taken. And it wasn't taken. It was just chilling there. And I changed my name to it. And then I was like, this seems like potentially hazardous. I might change it back. <laughs> and then Instagram was like, you cannot change it. Detection of fraud. Uh, That's so, so good. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? Should I change my name to the coming insurrection? I mean, I don't know if you have a choice at this point. <laughs> well, it's a done know, deal. I think I'll just have to lean into this whole thing then. I think, yeah, I think you're sorry. You're like me now. You're there's there's really no hiding anything about your politics anymore. You're just gonna have to make it work for you. But oh, do you want to hear a dating story with an abolitionist message? Uh, of course. <laughs> You'll see in a second where that second part comes in. But I think I thought this was kind of funny. I was thinking about it just before we recorded. I was like, oh, fuck, I got to talk about this. <laughs> OK, so, you know, on my quest to find someone to meet up with who, like, doesn't give me the ick, um, I, I'm like, OK, I finally met a cutie on Raya, which you know, I'm canceling myself once again for using Raya. I shouldn't even tell people. I, I would imagine most people, myself included, don't know what Raya is. So could you give it the, the, th- oh, the 30 second? It's a very it's an elitist dating app that you have to, like, get approved to be on. Approved by the sort of like Raya Central Committee. Yeah, the the, the Raya Invisible Committee mm. has to approve you based on some very opaque rubric so um shame on me shame on me for using that but um you know what i wanted to see if there were any celebrities on there in la and so far i have come across both eric andre and hannibal burris (laughs) aren't they besties uh yeah i think so i clicked the heart on eric andre and i did not click the heart on hannibal because he is a landlord and has some sus views on things but i think he went i would to totally my, he went to what my alma mater oh wow did i say that word right i don't know yeah sure nice uh <clears throat> so did you get you got your date with eric andre or not yet not yet but okay. i'm looking forward to it because that guy seems fucking crazy yeah weird. i think he rules and uh I think it would just be a really fun time. Uh, but no, I found this other guy on Raya. And he, I'm like, finally, he's cute. He's a musician. He can hold up his end of a conversation over text. He seems normal. I'm not going to ask too many questions because I just, you know, I want to go on a date before I leave L.A. Um, so then he said, what neighborhood are you in? I have been living in hotels and I'll get a hotel in, you know, whatever's close to the date. And I was like, what's up with that? Uh, and then he sends me a link. He sends me a picture of his Instagram story, which is public. So I feel like I can read it. And this is fucking crazy. So apparently <laughs> he got like home invaded. By the fellas. By, no, by some human, by a human trafficking ring, apparently. This is fucking crazy. Let me just read it to you. Um, 
Just want to say thanks to my people who've been so supportive the last few days to my roomies and me. A few nights ago, I heard the front door handle rattling at 3 a.m. only to find a man with a knife at my doorstep. Eventually, I realized there was another hooded man with a machete not far behind him. After trying to scare them off and tell them the cops were on their way, they were not phased and pulled a gun out and began to aim it at the door where my roomie and I had been standing. For 30 minutes, they tried to get into our house before the LAPD helicopters showed up shining lights on our house. 30 fucking minutes it took LAPD to respond to a 911 call about several guys trying to get into our place with machetes and guns. It was horrifying. I've never been so terrified in my entire life, and I'm so grateful we're all safe and okay. Thanks a lot, LAPD. Your cops were also too chicken shit to come to the door, but instead demanded one of us meet them in the street. At which point, I volunteered to be the one to walk out to the street, two addresses down from where the cops were hiding in their car like cowards. at your door with a machete and you want someone to show up 30 minutes later three blocks down afraid to get out of their cruiser <laughs> right like this is always what people say the cops are for what about and when they're... someone comes to your door with a machete what are you gonna do then literally you're just gonna figure it out yourself i guess and then he said we are we were so spooked to learn a human trafficking ring is located within a mile of our house and confirmed with a detective that this was most likely a human trafficking operation. Needless to say, we were all looking for new we are all looking for new places to live and are all displaced at the moment. If you have any leads for living situations on short notice in LA, holler. I don't that's Jeez. okay. I, I wanna open by saying that sounds incredibly traumatic for the people who were involved and I'm very sympathetic and I hope that they get the healing and the space and the support and the love and the security uh, that they need to move through this. But I'm also like, wh- why do they think that they were the victims of human trafficking? Is this guy like 34? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. He's a, an adult man in his 30s. Is that usually who gets human trafficked in Los Angeles? I don't know. It's just like, we all know that like the vast, vast majority, it's like, I, I heard 80% on a podcast one time, so it has to be true. Um, but like, like, like well over half, the vast majority of people who are like targeted or victims of human trafficking are trafficked by people that they know intimately well and trust, right? This idea that like, and there's a majillion fucking podcasts about this. I'm sure Sarah Marshall has an episode about this where it's just like this idea that there's just like ring, like rings of people coming to like snatch you from your house and traffic you on the dark web uh seems like bullshit um but well, I, but the detective said so which is like that's not like cops don't do that cops aren't like we have an ongoing investigation about this place that's a mile from like they don't do that we all know that they don't share details from there sorry i totally feel bad for this dude who's probably listening to me just be a total dick right now but i do feel for you like that sounds incredibly traumatizing but i'm sure it was just some fucking weirdo with a machete at your door i don't know i'm sorry we should cut that part out and or he just made up an elaborate story to avoid going on a date with me it's like (laughs) you can just fucking tell me dude it's fine you don't have to make up a a crazy story about how you almost got human traffic but no like he was actually gonna go on this date and i was like really impressed that he would still be like going on raya dates in the middle of all this 
<laughs> you know, it's like the triumph of the human spirit. Or maybe he just needed a place to stay. I don't know. I would not go out with somebody who's human spirit brings them to that place if they're just like i'm in the middle of an ongoing kidnapping attempt <laughs> would you like to go to starbucks you know sometimes uh, never underestimate the resilience of uh, a man's horniness i guess <laughs> but then but then uh he's like actually yeah i was perhaps a little too ambitious about this i have to go uh get some stuff from my apartment where i'm not living anymore and i'm probably not going to feel like doing anything after that i was like all right fair enough well you let me know if you uh need a warm meal or whatever i'll be here (laughs) nothing sets the mood like talking about kidnapping i know right it's hot actually that's funny you should mention that um (laughs) jake's girlfriend violet you know, she's a she's a pro dom. She actually specializes in uh, kidnapping scenarios. So, well, I, they better look into her and see if she owns a machete because. <laughs> yeah, maybe he just paid her to do that. So, speaking of Jake Flores, <laughs> was your crime wave show that I wasn't able to attend, even though you so amazingly offered to fly me out to the city of Los Angeles to go to a party with you, which felt like the most Los Angeles thing I could even conceptualize in my head. But how was your show? Oh, my God, it was so good. Um, We had a lot of technical problems at the last minute, of course, including the fucking microphones, which is a very important part of of a comedy show. And, uh, oh, wow, speak of the devil. Jake is calling me. Jake never calls me. Should I pick up? I put him on speaker. (laughs) That was great. That was Jake Flores telling me that yet another technical thing went wrong uh, with the recording of our show, which is really fucking unfortunate. But hopefully we could salvage the sound. (sighs) Hopefully he got some sound off the camera. This is so annoying. See, so I think if we had somebody producing the show for us, uh, Jake and I could spend more time on the actual content of it and less time, uh, you know, dealing with all this technical bullshit that we are both ill-equipped to handle. <sighs> so, you know, somebody, Means TV, anybody, Adult Swim, I don't know. Someone please, please produce this show for us. I'll fucking move to LA. I don't care. Uh, I just want it to be a good show and but i think it is pretty good for how (laughs) for how diy it was um we managed to film the sketch within like 24 hours it was crazy because the first person the person who was supposed to do it bailed at the last minute so we went up jake went on facebook and found a fan to shoot it for us and another fan to edit it for us in like 24 hours this is a 24 hour turnaround time crazy wow yeah well, I'm fucking... We, oh, sorry. And then the show was really great. Um, I'd say we had about 100 people there, including guest list. Nice. Which was actually more than we had in New York. And I would say uh, in New York, it was mostly our friends that came in LA. Uh, a lot of our friends did not show up, and they're all fucking dead to me now. But we had like 80 fans there, which is on some level cooler. Totally. <laughs> right? I mean, as much as I would have liked to see my friends there, too. Some of my friends came out from New York specifically for the show. Shout out to Debbie. 
shout out to Alex Gendler, friend of the show. Um, but yeah, it was really good. There were lots of, uh, we got some lols. We got some ha-has. We even got some lameos going in the crowd. <laughs> and uh, this is my second time ever doing live comedy. So that was pretty cool and exciting for me. I will say, I need to get over this thing in my head because the place that trained me to talk on a microphone was the majority report. And to this day, I'm still just expecting to be talked over or interrupted whenever I say anything. And I need to get it through my head that Jake isn't going to do that, right? Like he is my partner. He's my equal. He's my fucking collaborator. He wants me to talk and say my jokes and he appreciates my sense of humor and vice versa. So hope maybe someday that won't be a thing making me um, talk too fast or mumble or be like, you know, hesitant in any way. But um, I think it went well and it even got a nice little write up from someone who did not get what we were doing at all in the LA Review of Books. What'd they have to say? Oh my God. So this is pretty funny. Um, and it's like, okay, when I first saw it, I was like scared that it was going to be some exquisite roast of us, but this person is just a dumbass who like doesn't understand anything about what we're doing or perhaps is pretending not to understand because she, she seems to have a grudge against leftist podcasts in general and Jake specifically. Because yeah, I did. I did get a little bit of that from there. So, so many people like really have it out for Jake in ways that I don't understand. But um, <clears throat> I, I think it was not written in good faith. Um, now let's let's just read it because it's not that long. OK. Um, Simpler Times by Madeline Connors, who is a comedian herself. So, you know. One would hope that she understands jokes, but maybe not. Um, okay, so <clears throat> the indie sleaze event. Okay, crime wave, an indie sleaze party, Los Angeles, January 25th, 2024. It was also Jake's birthday, by the way. So she came to his birthday party and <laughs> reviewed it. <laughs> and he's like, like, a bunch of shit on him. That's my worst fucking nightmare, actually. <laughs> Having someone review your birthday party. Yes, yes. Be like two thumbs down. Yes, my thirtieth is coming up. And, to and... turn another year older. Sorry. <laughs> no, sorry. You're still twenty nine, actually. Madeline, but... you're not invited to my thirtieth birthday Madeline, party. No, uh, she's she's a harsh critic. So here we go. The Indie Sleaze event was advertised as a comedy show slash birthday party. It took place in a secluded warehouse surrounded by industrial buildings in downtown Los Angeles. True. In recent months, that was my editorializing, which I'm going to do throughout in case you didn't realize. Um, in recent months, there's been a self-conscious revival by coastal 20 and 30-somethings of the retroactively dubbed Indie Sleaze aesthetic, Nostalgia for the runoff of aughts pop culture is marked by fixie bikes and sideswept bangs. Uh, people floated around the space and got $10 tarot readings. Shout out to Debbie, my ride or die witch. She did the tarot readings. Suddenly, a variety show broke out. Jake Flores, 
a comedian and the apparent birthday boy. What a fucking... <laughs> if this is this even your birthday why would you say us? that you go to someone's birthday party and be like just standing <laughs> in the corner like the apparent birthday boy <laughs> yeah right he's not lying about that folks i promise um jake flores introduced the event if you're like me and spent too much time on twitter in 2018 you might recognize flores as the man stoking a perpetual slap fight with the red scare podcast hosts for the title of Brooklyn's top socialist dogma prattler, <laughs> what do you what do you think about that? <laughs> I um, I think it's kind of funny. I wasn't there for in twenty eighteen. <laughs> you weren't there, man. You don't no, know. No, I wasn't like there. Um, in the podcast trenches. I mean, that's a pretty that's a pretty hot title. Brooklyn's top socialist dogma prattler. I don't know <laughs> what the last. <laughs> I don't know what a prattler is. Brooklyn's next top socialist dogma prattler, right? Wow. It's like, I ha- I see before me three beautiful podcasters, but I only have two microphones. Who is going to go home this week? No, that'd be fun. But no, like, the reason why Jake hates the Red Scare people uh, is because they have reactionary politics and they're not on the side of progress so if you think that him and them are like competing at doing the same thing Mm. um i think you're a bit sus anyway uh she continues the event promised to exalt indie sleaze no it didn't (laughs) like what part was she listening to the jokes that we were making at the expense of all this anyway Instead, it delivered a compelling rendering of an entirely different era, one where Bernie was a presidential candidate and socialism was a stylish talking point on bratty podcasts. <laughs> okay, wow. okay, we need to step up our brattiness game because uh, we can go toe to toe with this person easy peasy. <laughs> I think so. I think we need to um, bring back, bring back the brattiness. Um, if it ever left. I mean, I feel like I've been bratty this whole time. So, yeah, I think that, uh, that that seems true. She's she's implying, thank you. <laughs> she's implying <laughs> that like the brattiness ever left. And she's, you know, she's implying that we were only that socialism was a fad and we were only socialists to try to get clout or attention or whatever, which is definitely true of podcasts like Red Scare who did a hard fucking pivot once uh the Bernie thing was over and they realized there's way more money and being just a straight up right wing podcast, but, um, whatever. Sure. So all in all, I'd say this was kind of a hilarious attempt at a takedown of us, but also annoying <laughs> because it, compl- I mean, she completely it doesn't talk about me at all, which I'm obviously <laughs> offended by, uh, because you know, if she dug into who I am at all, she would see, that I am very critical of the culture from this time. I'm literally writing a fucking book about it right now. I mean, I, I literally destroyed Terry Richardson. I don't know. It, I don't think that counts as like exalting indie sleaze, right? No. <laughs> I, was, I, I was hoping with this event to like, you know, do the fun parts and leave the interrogate the bad parts, the rapey parts, the gross parts, 
leave them behind and to do there's many ways you can come at that and one way is through humor and i think we did a pretty good job of that um you guys can decide for yourselves when we uh release the video but uh the sketch is already online and the sketch is actually uh an idea that i had this time because i think women should take credit for their ideas more often uh and it's like a save the children ad but for guys who've been canceled and uh, <laughs> I thought that was a funny idea. Jake really knocked it out of the park. He wrote most of the script this time. I like added stuff to it. I punched it up. And we had a great, great comedian uh, acting in it. Our friend Kevin, uh, Kevin Anderson. I think that's the same, yeah. And uh, yeah, like there, I mean, the joke is, it's like, you know, this guy who's been canceled, we need to provide him these facilities to like, Make him make him feel better. This fucking this white guy who's a douchebag. Like, like there's there's pharmaceutically assisted therapy sessions where he's just like doing coke and like talking to himself in the mirror. Like, that's when I realized I've never done anything wrong in my life. Everyone is against me. So I don't know how they could think that we were trying to uh, exalt the indie sleaze era when we were clearly parodying no. a lot of things about it. That's like, there's a reason, and I, I feel like maybe this touches on it, um, or you touched on it too, where it's like, there's a reason why sometimes we like to uh, indulge a little bit with, with decades past, right? Like, there's a reason why fucking clear electronics are becoming popular again and those jelly sandals and you know now probably played out again like stretchy choker collars and like all of these aesthetics these y2k aesthetics like have come back into full vogue again and it's like it's because of a romanticization of the carefreeness that a lot of us felt during that time of our lives right like things were simpler back then and we sort of long for i personally long for a life that's a little bit more manageable a little bit more wondrous a little bit more magical and i like to use the word like the warm fuzzies of childhood right that we just don't feel in this like cold and bleak and like like very 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 fucking difficult life that we all have to live under late capitalism so we all sort of like a little bit of nostalgia as a treat. And, uh, you know, in typical indie sleaze fashion, um, there was a sort of like post-ironic leaning into that, like uh, wanting to get back to that, uh, you know, what was nice about that era while at the same time highlighting <laughs> the very obvious uh, shortcomings and shallowness of a lot of it all. Right? Totally. Like... <clears throat> it was uh, sort of a catalyst for some of what we talked about on uh, Poddam America when I went back in time and I looked at this piece that I wrote for the launch of Vice Broadly, which was a women's site that Vice launched in like 2015, I think, because, you know, Gavin had been gone for a number of years and it was time to pivot to being a little more woke if Vice wanted to keep making money. So they hired a, a former editor from Jezebel to be the editor-in-chief of this women's site. And um, I had been blacklisted from writing for Vice ever since um, my Terry Richardson story came out. Not in Vice, obviously. Um, and she asked me to write something for the launch of the site. And uh, like Vice still had me blocked on Twitter. <laughs> and I was like, uh, can you get Vice to unblock me from Twitter? And she's like, oh my god. That's, I can't believe that that is still a thing. Oh, my God. Uh, 
So I wrote this history anyway. I wrote a piece that was the history of the fedora. And oh my I gosh. That, right? Because it was the time when like we were all making fun of these fedora bro oh, sure. types, you know. That like, time still still rolls on. Well, yeah, but it, on some level, it, it became something much more sinister that we couldn't necessarily have predicted back mm. then in 2015. Like, I was talking to someone about this the other day, and they were like, we should have been nicer to those guys. We should have been way nicer to those guys or way meaner. Like, <laughs> yeah, one or yeah, the yeah, other. Yeah. And maybe we wouldn't have gotten Donald Trump, who, you know, has a lot in common with Gavin McGinnis, if you think about it, because a lot of... A lot of these um, aesthetics of fascism uh, hold true from, you know, from fascism to fascism. And one of them is to be very obsessed with aesthetics and fashion, but also at the same time, and and trends, really, which, you know, obviously, if you look at the do's and don'ts, uh, Gavin was very catty about the way that people looked at the same time that he's like, I'm a fucking macho man. Which is very funny because he's basically like a steampunk with a mustache. <laughs> but I think uh, it's got a lot in common with Trump. Oh, steampunk is such a brutal takedown. Yeah. Well, what else? What else was popular in the indie sleaze era? Fucking <laughs> white trash drag. Right? That's what all these guys, all the trucker hats, the wife beater tank tops, the PBR. These were rich guys cosplaying as uh men of the white working class and you know downwardly mobile millennial dudes as well who were having sort of a crisis of masculinity right because uh they all went to college like they were you're supposed to do their boomer parents sent them to college and then they didn't wind up making very much money afterwards so they were all like pissed off and they oftentimes took it out on women minorities because they didn't have an overarching uh, class critique or critique of capitalism. Anyway, these are all things that I was playing around with in the show in the form of humor. Maybe it didn't. Uh, maybe it didn't hit. Maybe it didn't land. But to to not even acknowledge that that was what we were doing is kind of lame. Also, like she's all she's like, oh, she's really focusing on how it's all about glorifying what the white man, right? Uh, neither me nor Jake is a white man. <laughs> like, he's Latino. I'm a woman. And we were satirizing it from that angle as well. So that kind of burns my ass. Also, to, to imply that I'm only into socialism. I'm not, even, I'm not a fucking socialist also, by Phew. the way. I'm a, I'm a communist. So uh, get it right. Uh, maybe labels do matter, actually. But to imply that I'm only pretending to care about this because it's trendy or whatever, and the trend is over now, so it's time for me to like move on. Uh, I mean, you can check the fucking records. I've been doing direct action ever since the time of Occupy Wall Street, probably. Uh, did some shit that's so cool, I can't even talk about it on a podcast right now. Check the throwback pics. I've been that bitch. Exactly. And yeah, I was, I got a little bit sucked into the Bernie thing in 2016. You know, I'm not made of stone, but I was always a little <laughs> skeptical of it at the same time. Everybody, it, any, anybody who, okay, like everybody was fucking like, for better or for worse, was caught off guard and swept up in the Bernie thing for at least a moment, you know, uh, except for maybe the most ideal ideologically pure, like fucking anarchists or something like that. But it's just like, you know, there was like, 
I was watching, like I was fucking watching those. Uh, I remember distinctly watching um, his debate with Hillary Clinton, being like, "Holy shit, he's roasting her," you know. Uh, and no. it's just like you. It's like it was an exciting time in like it was a very, very, very rare splurge like tiny little sliver of excitement in an otherwise monotonous boring completely antiquated dinosaur-esque political system and like bernie came along and articulated you know in a in a american pc manner you know he was he's not a revolutionary leader and we have to be very very clear about that uh, but like articulated a lot of these things that we didn't think we'd ever see a politician say out loud, you know, and it was just like, thank God. And it was like, of course, we all knew or a lot of us knew, you know, a lot of people were like very earnestly swept up into this thing. And that makes sense. And a lot of other people also were like, like it, we we understood it as a guilty pleasure. You know, we're like, we can have a, a little slice of Bernie as a treat. <laughs> And uh, obviously, like, the political establishment didn't let that win. Like, do you remember, like, the Debbie Wasserman Schultz shit? Like, that was oh just God. the most <laughs> galloping corruption, like, any of us had ever experienced seeing, like, against the mainstream politician. It was just, like, you know, and it was, like, it was emotional. It was an emotional time to be an American, you know? And it was, like, I don't know. I, I'm not embarrassed to say that I was was emotionally invested in the outcome of that election you know yeah same and it's like I think people who do say that like I understand like if people like I am not into electoral politics um I voted for Barack Obama in 2012 and then I voted for Jill Stein in 2016 was she running in the Trump election she was the Green Party ticket if she runs that okay I voted for Barack Obama in 2008, and I voted for Jill Stein against Barack Obama in 2012. But Barack Obama was not running for president in 2016. Right. Um, I just remember going down to uh, my car, my school, and uh, I was freshly turned 18 and was very happy that I got to vote for Barack Obama, uh, which is so funny in hindsight because I wasn't even paying attention to politics in the slightest. I just did what I thought I was supposed to do. Um, Fair enough. I mean, it's not nothing, I guess, that we've never had a black president before, even though he's obviously a neoliberal piece of shit. Um, yeah, it was a time. And, and the function of leftist podcasts in that time, I think, you know, I obviously have my critiques of Chapo um, and the so-called dirtbag left, even as... At the same time that the Antifado was definitely a part of that wave of podcasts that came up around that time. But a lot of what it did was it was speaking to this real um, awakening on the part of so many people out there. So many people who were struggling financially, people our age and younger who were realizing, oh, shit. I'm not the only one who feels this way. I'm not crazy. And the people who are in charge of the media, of the of the bourgeois press, they're fucking dumbasses engaged in a political project to keep us down and to protect the status quo. And what these podcasts did was, yeah, they were bratty. They fucking, they parodied, they punctured, they 
pilloried this these punctilious fucking freaks. Yeah, you need a pop filter if you're going to be using words like that. I need a pop like filter that. so bad. <laughs> and I'm so sorry. But it was like, yeah. Like, you listen to that. You, I was listening to these podcasts at the time. And I was like, yeah, no, they are the crazy. They are the freaks. Like, it's actually normal to want health care like they have in the rest of the world. And I'm not going to let people be fucking condescending and shitty to me about this anymore. So that was a real thing. And that was, you know, if there's anything positive to be taken away from it, from it all, it was that. So, like, <laughs> fuck you if you don't like it. Like, you're probably not on our side. Mm. Okay, that's good. Um, and what, one more thing on this before we move on, because I think it's important Uh because she's implying that we're just grifters, right? Me and Jake, we don't do anything in the world to try to make our wacky views come to pass. Um, that's not true at all. Like, I'm not just a fucking podcaster. Like, Sam and I are literally going to have a call for the Stop Cop City stuff after we finish this recording. This is something that I've really devoted my life to and that I'm going to be doing whether it's cool or not, and whether or not it intersects with my own individual career as a media person or as, you know, whatever stuff that I can put my name on. So I don't really care what this person thinks of me, but I do think it's, um, I don't know, just doesn't reflect well on her really to not have done her research and try to score a few cheap points at the expense of Really, the expense of Jake. <laughs> she barely mentions me in it. But, um, and yeah, Jake is one of the best people I know. So, fuck the haters. Uh, I watched that Cat Williams clip where he's talking about your haters, and it made me feel a lot better. A friend said that to me. So, there you go. Haters gonna hate. And I'm happy to be hated by dumbasses who have sus politics. So, whatever. <laughs> this is my first taste into the uh, world of cultural criticism. Uh, and, you know, it's not something that I had really uh, taken into account as something that exists. I didn't know that people went around to uh, birthday parties or comedy shows and just like talked smack on uh, how people were doing. Um, part of that makes sense, you know, I guess like art criticism literary criticism political critique like all this stuff is important it just like you know if we're going to be honest and we're going to be talking about who the grifters are uh i might venture to say that it could potentially be the uh critics <laughs> yeah i mean they're like they're allowed to do it but um when they're dumb and wrong i'm allowed to say that that's that's freedom of speech baby but moving on from all of that, um, all that podcast drama, comedian on comedian violence. Um, yeah, this is a real baptism by fire for you. Huh? <laughs> um, moving on to more important things in the world. Um, I saw that your very own city council, the people who represent you, Sam, in the frozen northern city of Chicago have passed a resolution in favor of a ceasefire mm. in Gaza. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about that? I most certainly can. Um, 
I'm glad to hear that's making national news. Although I will say that uh, it was like 52 degrees today on February 1st, the year of our Lord, 2024 uh, in Chicago. So thank you, Global Warming, for having 50 degrees in February, when which is normally the coldest part of the year. Um, but yeah, yesterday, Chicago City Council passed, uh, you know, a ceasefire resolution um, against the ongoing genocide in Gaza. Uh, and... I uh, I haven't been super involved. I haven't been involved in the organizing for any of that work. I know like hundreds of activists, maybe thousands and thousands of people have put uh, obscene amounts of energy into making this happen, and it finally paid off for them yesterday with a very high, high, high intensity split vote. It was twenty three to twenty three in the city council. Uh, I guess we have 50 fucking city council people um, and about several of them didn't vote, but it was 23 to 23 and the mayor, Brandon Johnson, had to function as a tiebreaker, which is like, it doesn't get any more down to the wire than that. Um, and I sort of like watched some live streams uh, and videos of the immediate aftermath of it and like organizers, um, you know, all draped in kafias and, uh, and and holding Palestinian flags were literally jumping up and down with joy. I hadn't really seen that much jubilation uh, in such a uh, depressing and squalid place as the Chicago City Hall in a very long time. Um, So shout out to all the organizers who did all the work on that. Um, You know, uh, the Democratic Socialists of America's own Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez, uh, older person for the 33rd Ward, who's like the chief sponsor of, of the resolution, uh, said, quote, if we are committed to peace and liberation, we have to be committed to peace and liberation for all oppressed people. We can continue to work on caring for all of our neighbors and also to make space to tend to our communities at a moment of such intense pain and devastation. We need to add our voice to the growing number of people demanding peace, end quote. Um, the growing number of people includes like dozens of other cities, as far as I know, uh, including our good comrades down in Atlanta, Minneapolis, San Francisco, Oakland, and Detroit. But the good city of Chicago is now the largest city in the country to have called for a ceasefire uh, to the ongoing genocide in Gaza. All that leaves left is your city and your representatives, my dear friend, Jamie Peck. So you might need to go tell them over there in the Big Apple to get their shit together. Uh, and pass a resolution of their own. Um, that all be in LA now. <laughs> Shit! If you move to LA, I'll probably move to fucking LA. Um, yeah, everybody do it. Although I don't, I don't. Okay, I don't know. LA kind of seems like it sucks, though. Um, they but... say that um, LA is shitty heaven and New York is fun hell, and I very <laughs> much agree. That's cute. Um, Chicago is just purgatory. Um, so, you know, all of this aside, I, um, I'm very happy for all the folks, um, who've been working tirelessly on this. Um, I do think that it's important if we are to have political institutions, I don't find, uh, non-binding symbolic resolutions meaningless. I think those things are important, um, to some extent, uh, and especially like, um, that all being said, I'm curious, uh, Jamie, how you feel about um, this sort of burgeoning wave of municipally based non-binding ceasefire resolutions and the organizing efforts being put towards that work. Yeah, sure. I mean, 
I think as long as it doesn't take away from other types of organizing around this issue, it's fine and it's good. And we have heard a number of voices from Gaza saying that they really appreciate seeing the international showings of solidarity from around the world, especially from within the United States, which is currently, you know, um, harming them very much. Um, I mean, I can I can read a quote from one of the sponsors uh, that I just pulled from this article. He says, do I believe that the words that we speak today, how we vote today influences directly international policy? I don't. I don't have those illusions, said Alderman Daniel Laspata, one of the resolution sponsors. But we vote with hope. We vote with solidarity. We vote to help people feel heard in a world of silence. So that's certainly better than nothing. And I think there is some evidence that, you know, the massive amount of public outcry that we've been seeing has put at least some pressure on the Biden administration to change what they're doing in Israel. Obviously not enough because it's still fucking happening. Um, but yeah, I'm not going to shit on something like this if it um, gives people a little bit of hope, you know, with the caveat that uh, we, there's a lot of other shit that we really need to be doing, including, you know, fucking strikes, occupations, blockades, um, all of the things that actually have the power to disrupt the economy, which, you know, the bourgeois state, that's its primary job to make sure uh, accumulation keeps on chugging along. Although I think the Biden administration is behaving in increasingly irrational ways, um, especially looking at the upcoming election and how it could really hurt his chances in crucial swing states like, oh, I don't know, Michigan, where a whole lot of Muslims live and voted for him last time around and probably aren't going to vote for him this time in you know crucial cities in Michigan. So I think at some level, Joe Biden is just like ideologically committed to the state of Israel on a level that doesn't even necessarily make sense with his own interests in mind, although obviously... Israel still is going to be a U.S. U.S. advocate in the region, but I'm not sure what the U.S. is getting out of it at no. this point in time. And no. Donald Trump is going to talk about that. You can bet. You can bet he's going to talk about that for sure. I don't know if Joe Biden's mind is even strong enough to be able to conceptualize what his best interests are, let alone to keep them at the forefront of his mind. Um, I think that man needs to lay down, needs to sit in a zero-gravity beach recliner chair and eat a vanilla ice cream with aviator sunglasses for the rest of his life, um, maybe get called a war criminal a few times and just fucking die in peace. Um, But speaking, you know, you had dropped, you'd mentioned blockades. Um, Today, as far as I understand it, um, according to Al, uh, at Pal Solidarity Canada, um, the entire port of Vancouver was completely shut down today, demanding that Canada uh, support the ICJ decision uh, and acting immediately by ending all arms trade with Israel. There were also five different major intersections in the you know, the capital of the United States, Washington, D.C. Uh, I don't know why I said it like that. Five major intersections shut down in D.C. Um, so it's like, you know, to me, sort of back to what your your, your point is, is like, you know, we don't slander different tactics in the struggle for liberation in our movements. I think if, if that's sort of um, 
if that sort of ethos that we saw embodied, that we see embodied so well in the Defend the Atlanta Forest Stop Cop City movement can sort of carry over and become the norm uh, in other movements, including the fight for Palestinian liberation um, and justice for all in the Middle East. Like, I, I think that's great. Um, I, you know, I'm sure folks who are doing the organizing for the Chicago um, ceasefire resolution, I'm sure a lot of them made new connections, learned new organizing tools, developed new skills, had meaningful political experiences that are part of their revolutionary becoming. And all of those things are integral to building a party. All of those things are integral to building shared perceptions and revolutionary material conditions in, in, you know, across the fucking social sphere. Um, and all of those things are super important. You know, I think one thing that I, to your, to your point about like, as long as it doesn't take away from something else, you know, I do sort of see this, um, you know, it's, it's still stuck in this sort of constituent power dynamic where like we have, we are the constituents of the city council and we are going to beg the leaders to, to do us a solid, you know, it's still, it reinforces their power. It reinforces their legitimacy, um, blockades happening in vancouver uh we saw blockades of intersections we've seen so like there was a blockade of lakeshore drive a few months ago um during one of the earlier um pro-palestinian protests um but this but this sort of like like a concrete approach to shutting down the actual american manufacturing facilities owned by lockheed martin or raytheon elbit and all other and otherwise shutting down these facilities like in a comprehensive and durable manner or like that's the sort of type of work that actually would like materially devastate um the ongoing genocide in in palestine um but i think what we saw today and yesterday with the resolution is sort of a reflection militant tactically cutting edge counter logistical tactics of blockading arms facilities or transportation facilities are just sort of out of reach for most people like and it's important to note we are seeing an uptick in this sort of activity in this country and we've we've really seen an uptick in this that sort of grammar of resistance since standing rock but but it's still always a hyper minoritarian very small very specialized um group of people that are doing this very brave and important work and it, there's still sort of this phenomenon where that sort of work is just completely inaccessible to the masses of people that care deeply about this issue and that's for all sorts of reasons um, a lot of times those sorts of activities are done in a pretty clandestine uh, need to know basis type of way but it's also just like we really have to zoom out and look at social struggles over the span of decades to see that that um, these political tactical intuitions are changing, but we just aren't at the current moment to where they are proliferating in the way that will meaningfully disrupt the logistical flows of American infrastructure, financial and otherwise, that are supporting this genocide. And I think that that reason there is... Um, why so many people fall back on what feels like a comfortable or accessible or legible mechanism of resistance, which is these sort of constituent power demands of begging the people in positions of power to demonstrate with now just a non-binding resolution that they care about this issue or something, and then hope for the butterfly effect of that to, 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 to spread. 
Hey, before moving on, just wanted to add, um, I'm adding this in post. Jamie and I were going to release this episode today, Wednesday, February 7th. And something really cool happened in Niles, Illinois, in Chicago land, about 45 minutes from the crib. About 100 Palestinian organizers and youth protesters shut down Woodward, which is a weapons manufacturer. Uh, this specific Woodward facility in Niles, Illinois, that was shut down, provides the control actuation systems, the CAS, to Boeing's for its joint direct action munitions. They're bombs that are currently being used to massacre over 27,000 Palestinians in Gaza over the last four months. So protesters today blocked every entrance to the Woodward facility to halt the production of the bombs for the day. So uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this over the weekend, but uh, it felt very timely based on what we were just talking about um, with the ceasefire resolution and the need for more escalatory direct tactics. Anywho, really stoked that that happened. Now let's get back to the show. And just one thing that I think is important, um, that's not always been how I've moved in the past is just during times where that like caliber of exciting or militant resistance just isn't happening um but other things are happening um holding space in my heart and in my critique and in my just open-endedness to give room for those other tactics that are are less exciting to me uh, to breathe nonetheless. Um, And that's one thing that I sort of have really grown into through moving with the Defend the Atlanta Forest movement and specifically um, during yours and my work and Block Cop City. It's sort of like um, when I was signed up to speak at the a union hall in Rochester, New York, if you recall. And they asked me if I minded if someone from the local civilian review board could, you know, come and say a few words about that. And my first instinct, you know, as an abolitionist is that civilian review boards don't do anything and maybe only serve to legitimize the system and pr- make it look like Um, citizens have control over the police when they absolutely don't. But, um, you know, then I learned a little more about the political terrain in Rochester, found out that this is something, it's one of the only ones in the country that actually has teeth, and the police have fought tooth and nail to take away its power and, you know, make it so it doesn't exist. And, you know, a lot of people in this local struggle are abolitionists, But, you know, this is something that makes sense to them to do right now because we it's better than nothing. So after I, you know, learned a little more about it, I was like, you know what? I don't have to be a 100 percent purity politics person at all times in all situations. Sometimes I can uh, be uh, a little a little more generous, a little more flexible, uh, depending on the, the local terrain. And I think that's. Uh, an important lesson that I learned uh, on that tour stop. And it was really great at the end of the day. Uh, and, and it was actually the union hall of the union that is currently unionizing the civilian review board, which is also interesting and cool. And part of what they're unionizing around is the civilian review board's right to exist. Because unlike Israel, it does have a right to exist. Facts. 
Um, this reminds me of a conversation that I had uh, in the last few days with somebody that I met through the Block Cop City organizing, and we had sort of talked about, you know, this person posed this question about, like, how do we bridge gaps between movements? You know, like, when um, this person was really involved in Stop Cop City stuff and uh, heard about the Block Cop City thing back in September and was working towards that and rallying folks towards that, and when the um, October 7th, uh, you know, Hamas attack uh, occurred, basically like all of this person's energy sort of moved away from the Block Cop City stuff and focused on um, on, on pro-Palestine uh, justice initiatives. And the question that this person asked me was sort of like, you know, how do we prevent that sort of siloing in our movements from occurring? Um, and my, my only response to that was sort of like, I think it's all like, oftentimes it'll just come down to individual relationships, you know, like you form a friendship with someone who, uh, who does, who's working on some other type of work. Cause it's like, this stuff becomes all encompassing. Like, I'm going to be honest, I have been so caught up in stop cop city, defend the Atlanta forest work that I'm not in the know in the slightest on pro-Palestine initiatives that are happening in my area or in the country. Like I'm trying to stay on top of it, but it's like logistically, like it's, it's, it's a lot like trying to work a full-time job, trying to do all these other normal human things and then trying to organize. It's like that one of the reasons why there's siloing inside of social movements and why people focus on one campaign instead of 10 <laughs> or sometimes just two is because sometimes you can't you you it's like logistically impossible to do that so the way that we sort of build these bridges uh zooming out 10 years trying to connect our different elements of our social movements i think is through individual relationships and new capital f friendships uh that sort of arise through movement organizing like you and i like we met like f three months ago was that really when oh my I, god you know yeah uh, and like, that's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> um, we move fast. We move. We, we move fast. Um, I guess speaking of that, because we have to go soon, um, I wanted to sort of pivot over to the Stop Cop City Summit again. So um, I want to do a Let's mega do sh shout out to uh, to uh, my comrade who basically heard that I was trying to raise funds to go to the summit because uh, I'm completely and utterly broke and they purchased me a ticket to go uh, to fly there. Um, so mad love to that, um, to them for doing that. But uh, the Stop Cop City Summit is in Arizona and it's uh, February 23rd to February 26th. We talked about this the last time, but it's going to be, it's going to be in Tucson. Um, and well, I was just going to sort of talk a little bit i was going to sort of read some of these slides yeah. but people... tell us about it tell cool. us about it janet who's janet you know, that just popped into my head you know from rocky horror picture show i have never seen that movie what <laughs> i know crazy. i know that's like a forbidden thing to say to like a goth wow. girl probably but i have never seen that movie i just assumed that that's why we both are the way we are I've I've also never read Twilight, and I really want to. Have you read? You probably no, you're too no, no, old no, no, for no. that shit. I'm way too old for that shit, and would, that shit's lame. Would you read Twilight with me? 
Mm, can we read a good vampire book? There's so I don't. Many good I don't want to read a good. I want to read Twilight. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> I do have a side series called The Vampire Castle that I don't know if you're even aware of. I know. I'm not aware of like 98% of the shit that you've done <laughs> or do. Well, I've done I've done a lot of things, so that's okay, but I had uh I guess technically still have a side series, a little side project with Leslie Lee from Struggle Session, and we haven't done it in a minute cuz he has long covid and unfortunately he hasn't been feeling up to it um very often. But I imagine that we'll do it some more and when he's feeling okay and then um, we'll put it out under the party girls uh, feed and that is a thing you could do when you have a podcast you can have a little series with its own little name and ours is called the vampire castle because it is you know it's literally about vampires but it's also trolling the worst people in the world with that name so I'm very much looking forward to this um Anyway. <laughs> so the Stop Cop City Summit. So basically, a uh, little bit of context. There were six weeks of action in the city of Atlanta. There was then Block Cop City last year. And this is the first nationwide convergence happening outside of the city of Atlanta. Um, and there's a few reasons for that. Why is the summit in Tucson? Basically, everyday people can fight Cop City anywhere. There are contractors, funders, or insurance providers, or politicians with ties to the project. Thousands of people in the Southwest and along the West Coast support the movement, but the mobilizations in Atlanta have been rather logistically difficult for them to attend. So the Stop Cop City Summit in Tucson invites greater participation from these regions, which are rife with financial and political ties to Cop City. Also, you know, one of the first pieces of correspondence that came from frontline on-the-ground defenders in Atlanta was a piece called This Is Not a Local Struggle. And this sort of takes that sentiment of this is not a local struggle and makes it real by tangibly saying we're going to have this um, convergence in Tucson. Not to mention, and this is an important element too, is one of the reasons why the sixth week of action, which was in the summer of 2023, and why, uh, well, did, like wasn't in the forest, and why there's been a lot of people that have been afraid to act in this moment is because of the massive level of repression, right? The function of repression is to scare people into inaction. And, it, and, and despite a lot of efforts, people are still, well, people are still acting bravely, but of course repression still scares some other people and, and changes the way that everyone moves through the world. Um, but all of those charges, the, the RICO charges and the domestic terrorism charges are state level charges. They're not federal level charges. The feds only take on cases they think they can win. One could have probably opined that they don't think that they could win this. So they're not federal level charges. They're state level charges. Uh, and then the, the state of Arizona doesn't have the same sort of apparatus, the legal apparatus for those same specific types of charges that Atlanta does. So the legal terrain Despite is different. Despite being really evil, the state of Arizona does not have the RICO laws and the DT laws that people are being charged under in Georgia. So what would the summit actually entail? Well, the nationwide summit to stop Cop City will become what participants make of it. Uh, basically, events are self-organized. There's like a sort of open source, open calendar that's online that people will be able to like call for their own events, organize on their own, plan on their own, post on this calendar. And people can show up to them. Um, there's plans for a cookout. There's plans for a rave. So on the on the night of uh, February 23rd at 11 p.m., there's going to be the kickoff rave. 
Yay, come hang out with me and my Zoomer boyfriend. Yay. <laughs> not me, by the way. I am not a Zoomer. So to all the listeners out there. Oh, he likes to go to raves. We can cut that part out or not. Whatever. Yeah, we're keeping that in. <laughs> I do posts. So. I did make a joke about it in the show, too. <laughs> So actually getting to Tucson, obviously, like you should carpool if you can. Um, you can fly into Tucson or Phoenix. Um, there's buses that get around there. As far as transportation on the ground, there's bicycles. There'll be limited volunteer shuttles. And um, there's public buses and, and, and streetcar transit that's free inside of the good city of Tucson. Uh, there's going to be a large camp in the city uh, where all are encouraged to stay for free, obviously. Come with your own gear, tent, sleeping bags, etc. for cold nights. Uh, there will be warm, sunny days. I think I looked at it. It's like cold, like low of 40, high of 70. Um, there's also a housing form that people will be able to fill out and request housing for free. Or you can be uh, like me and Jamie and get a cheap, shitty little uh, rental for short-term rental for a few days. Um, we need our sleep. We got work to do. We're going down there with a mission. Um, there's, there's going to be one to two free meals per day, uh, in a centralized location. Um, so there's a lot of work that's being put into this by the good people of the American Southwest. And, um, we're going to go down there and we're going to support them. I think as of now, my proposal plan is we go down there and we interview some folks. We sort of take a, um, I don't want to say a reporter approach because I don't know. Fuck. I would never want to call myself a fucking journalist again. Unicorn riot. We're coming for your crown. <laughs> Just kidding. We love Unicorn we love riot you. Unicorn riot. I want to emulate them. I want a unicorn riot t-shirt. Same. Let's well, get, maybe they'll be there. Yeah. Um, but like, hopefully we can go down there and record like two podcasts while the thing's happening, pump them out. So y'all could like listeners can stay in the know on what's going on down there. Yeah. Um, maybe if there's like a talk or a panel or something that would make sense to broadcast. We can also record that and maybe set up a stream. I don't know. We don't really have streaming capabilities right now, but definitely we have the ability to record sound. And yes. we might as well use it to spread the word about what's going on for people who are interested. So our good listeners, if you want to, uh, if you have any recommendations or like requests for how to cover that event, things that might be helpful for you, different types of like um, uh, things to look out for while we're down there. Or if you've got the, the scoop on like the best coffee or Thai food uh, or whatever it is that Jamie's eating these days, avocado toast in, uh, <laughs> in, in Tucson, uh, hit us up. Um, we also, you know, uh, people are able to attend the, the, the summit. Obviously the summit is free. It's decentralized. It's autonomous. It's organized by folks. So if people have their own events that they want to plan there, if they've got a panelist, they would love to, to uplift. If they've got an, a conversation they'd like to see happen, if they have a music or cultural event, if they have a protest that they want to plan, um, the secret is to act. That's all the secret is. Ooh, we should name our podcast right. The Secret. Oh my God. Stop it. Have you read that book? I I know what it is. We should read, read it. it. I've, I've never read it. We should read it and do a literary, <laughs> literary critique on it for our show. That would be fun. I You know how I first became aware of it? Actually, this is kind of funny. You know that, that actor Hal Sparks? Or maybe he was just like an, an announcer. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So he was dating, uh, he was polyamorously dating a suicide girl named James when I was a suicide girl too. And he would like, you hang were around. a suicide girl? 
You didn't know this? I've, I told you this before. Come on. Really? No. Yeah. No, you love to talk about yourself, but you didn't tell me this part. <laughs> well, it's true. I was, and I technically still am, because it's kind of like the Mormon church, and that you have to go out of your way to get excommunicated, otherwise you're still in it. Mm. So, yeah, I technically still am. But um, this was when I was like hanging out more heavily on that scene, more active on the site and IRL. And he was dating a suicide girl. And, you know, there were some like low level tabloid stories about it. Anyway, they he was really into the secret. I think maybe she was, too. I don't exactly remember. But and it, this was like. Really, at the dawn of my political consciousness, like I didn't have a fully formed critique of stuff like that. Like you had yet, just but... you just watched Zeitgeist. Yeah, yeah. But even then, I was like, I think this shit is whack. <laughs> so, <laughs> I uh, my mom was like really into buying DVDs at Goodwill or whatever, and she came home with this thing called The Secret. And I was in high school, and I think I like got super stoned and like didn't know what it was, and like watched it and was like. It was so corny, and it's like, I don't know. I'm becoming increasingly woo-woo, as I mentioned in our pilot episode. Um, and sometimes the way that uh, um, law of attraction people talk about things, it, it, like, just like that makes sense like it just checks out you know it's like if you visualize the dart hitting the bullseye it will be more like it's like that's scientifically proven for like sports and shit you know um i also have never read it and i don't know what i'm talking about but um yeah i think i'm gonna lean into that shit yeah it's the power of positive thinking positivity politics we just gotta yeah i feel like we need to explain what it is a little bit for people who don't know but you know what? We'll do that on the episode where we delve all the way in to the, the law of attraction. The secret. We become a self-help podcast. Wouldn't that be funny? Hell yeah. Um, all right, JPZ, uh, do you have any pluggables? So the only thing I want to plug right now is this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> keep on listening we're yeah, gonna have it, it all set up in its own feed but for now you're probably listening to it in the elc feed and that's all right also um the sketch is up from from the woke <gasps> mob yes. so you can watch that now on youtube so i'll put a link to that in the show notes and assuming that we didn't completely fuck up the sound <laughs> um, the full version of the show will be up soon so that's exciting and where can folks find you on socials? You can find me at... I'm still on fucking X. Right? <laughs> I'm giving up. I'm calling it Why X did you now. call it that, you fucking okay. cuck? X, formerly Twitter. Even the URL is still Twitter. No, fuck that. I'm on Twitter. At Jamie underscore Elizabeth. It's just like me in my apartment, you know? I'm like, fuck off. I'm not leaving. I don't care how bad it gets in here. <laughs> You do whatever you want. I'm staying and making myself miserable to prove a point. So I'm still there. Uh, I'm here. Where the fuck am I? I'm The gram. I'm in the wind. Yeah, I'm on the gram. Jamie Peck 666, which is also my URL on um, <clears throat> OnlyFans, where you should feel free to give me money for my nudes because that's how... I make money, and that's how I'm going to go to the summit in Tucson and fuck shit up. Hell yeah. Um, that's fantastic. 
uh, yeah, I encourage folks to subscribe to your OnlyFans as well. Uh, I guess you can find me on Instagram at the coming insurrection. Hell yeah. I love that for you. Oh, I should do it now. I'm sure one of my friends to help uh, with, a, with a social media approach to some of the work that Jamie and I are doing. Um, and you want to be a part of that too. Hit us up. Yeah, help us, Zoomers. <laughs> You're our only hope. I don't know how to use that shit. No. I'll oh. be in the TikToks. I just don't know how to make them. So... It's finished. <laughs> Is it finished? Yeah, it's finished. I think it's finished. What's five? We got to get on that call. Yeah, I know. Here we are doing the work. Do we need a sign-off? We should have a sign-off. Oh, I feel like I'll see you, all you dumb bitches next week for more um, dumb bitch juice, which we will be serving to glug, all glug, of you. Glug, glug, Communistly. Yeah, there we go. Nailed it. Bye. Bye. All right. Stop.